into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Poddam America. I am one of the hosts of this show, Jake Flores. Hello, you know me. Hi. If you are a regular listener and you are wondering why the show came out a little bit late this week, I apologize. It's been a long weekend. Um, I've been a little under the weather. I work at a bar and uh, this weekend was St. Patrick's Day, which is the dumbest day to work at a bar of the entire year so a little worn out uh so i apologize but this should come out tonight sunday night slash monday morning um i also uh i'm putting this out a little bit late because we're dealing with a very serious topic today and i wanted to make it well organized and do this episode right So, uh, I took a little bit of extra time with it. So, uh, you'll understand that as we get into what we're talking about today. So I, again, apologize. Thanks for listening. Yada, yada, yada. Um, today we are talking about, um, something rather serious. I might as well just come out and lay it out there. Obviously a tragic death in the trans community um, a suicide, uh, the woman's name was Eden Knight and you might've seen the story going around a little bit. I'm doing this on our show because I was reached out to by someone close to this person. And I think what's going on is that part of the story is, um, growing because there are some very mysterious circumstances around, some companies and some agents and actors involved in this story that may become more complicated from here on out. But part of getting there, part of investigating this is, uh, using media itself. Right. So as far as I can tell, the events we're going to discuss here happened and some friends of the, uh, the person we're talking about have been in the process of contacting other media and illuminating the story, shining light on it. It's starting to get written up in places like Rolling Stone and the independent and things like that. That's good. I am uh, some comedian with a podcast that people listen to for some reason. So I figured I will try to help. All right. Uh, I'll do what I can. Obviously, uh, if someone comes to you and asks you something like this, you do what you can. And it's important. Uh, obviously I agree, you know, with the agenda at hand here. So, um, so please, you know, take some time, listen to the story and, uh, let's, I don't know, see if we can collectively help out here a little bit. Yeah. We're also going to interview, um, a friend of the person we're talking about a little bit later. We'll get to that. Um, but first I want to do a little theory. I want to talk a little history 
because I think some things that I'm reading about lately provide some background, some information, um, uh, some historical context to get us to a point where we can understand the greater dynamics of what's happening in the world today that led to this. So uh, up top, I'm going to cite a few sources here if you're uh, interested in where I'm getting this information that I'm about to discuss. Um, in researching something I'm working on separate from the show here, I've been reading a lot about the late 1800s, the late 19th century, if you will. Um, <clears throat> particularly like medical science that sprang up around that time that went on to inform the way people still think today. So I've been reading from a book called Fetishism as Cultural Discourse, edited by Emily Apter and William Pites. Um, it's a collection of essays about various different aspects of um, what I just mentioned, medical origins of, of diagnoses and the psychopathy of sexualis and stuff like that. Uh, it's really, it starts off with a really good chapter by a guy named Robert A. Nye, who wrote a book called Sexuality. That's really interesting. Um, this stuff sort of uh, overlaps, you know, the understanding that we have of sexuality and identity and gender and stuff like that. Uh, I guess what I'm arguing here is it overlaps with the rise of nationalism in Europe, which took place around the same time. So I'm also getting a little bit of my information from having listened to uh, the entire Revolutions podcast by Mike Duncan, which I highly recommend if you're a podcast person and you want to understand all of modern history. Um, it's really good. So going all the way back to the late 1800s um, in France, the Paris Commune had just fallen. The you know the the big attempt of the era at uh, doing the damn thing that we're kind of always talking about on, on the show here, right? Um, the Paris Commune turned into a siege, and it attempted to defend itself from russia in the franco-prussian war right prussia i guess at the time <sighs> if i'm getting details here wrong uh yell at me on the internet but the the details aren't, aren't the point i guess um it's sunday night come on <sighs> anyway after the fall of the paris commune conservatives in french society took hold once and for all of uh the levers and mechanisms and gears of society. This led to a situation in which there was a strong backlash against all the progressive ideals of the various communists and, and proto-communists, I guess, socialists, anarchists, whatever the label was at the time, who attempted to, uh, you know, to, to, to take a different turn during this era in Europe when nations were forming into the cohesive modern states that they exist as today. This is the time when um, Italy went through a process called Risorgimento, you know, formerly being a lot of different small societies uh, over various battles and wars and whatever and uh, uh, processes Italy formed into the modern thing we know as Italy around the mid to late 1800s. Uh, same thing with Prussia uh, turning into Germany. Or rather, fucking, you know, 
Prussia, Austria, all these other various states. Um, Eric Hobsbawm, to cite another source, writes a lot about this time and how certain things happened like the the concept of invented tradition occurred around this time when we needed to create a, a cohesive state identity for people. For example, something he wrote about a lot uh, regarding Scotland was how the imagery of the tartan patterns and stuff that the Highland people would wear um, were invented to to you know to propagandize um, to create a cultural identity. Importantly to create one that implies that it has existed traditionally forever and that people have been the way they are forever and that there's a um a way of being that is innate and intrinsic and essential and hegemonic right this sort of thinking worked to the advantage of nationalists conservatives um people for whom it was important to have a state identity, a flag, you know, uh, something, you know, resembling the the worship of a king that we, you know you just you just got out of historically, but you can't you don't want to go too far. Well, anyway, around this time in France, for whatever reason, because probably because of the just various. Uh, ebbs and flows of the economy through recovering from a war and things like that birth rates fell in uh in late 1800s french society in the the 30 years leading up to world war one and everything that happened then there was a general anxiety that you could i guess i'm arguing um attach in some way to nationalism uh, the anxiety, you know, w was about birth rates and the th perceived threat, rather, the perceived threat to, like, the nuclear family. Uh, I guess the thinking was, you know, that that um, you need husbands and wives and children and shit to be the, the you know, the core of of society so that you can reproduce people to go to war and fight some dumb fucking war on behalf of your stupid state and your little flag, etc. right? The conservative anxiety of the time is that we were not making enough people. And it's interesting to go off on a tangent here for a moment. Uh, if you look at nationalist moral panics, conservative moral panics throughout history, they often go the other way. Uh, often they argue that we're making too many people and, um, in general, just anxiety and panics about the level of the population have, uh, always been pretty spurious in this podcaster's opinion. Um, they kind of seem to serve as a distraction from the real contradictions in society. It's, uh, we don't have too many people. We don't have a not enough people. It's, it's not a problem. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the things that are threatening, society are generally rooted in capitalism right but in the late 1800s in france the idea was that we didn't have enough people so early medical scientists who just a generation uh before or really still at this time were you know conducting science on the basis of ex insane archaic medical ideas like the four humors 
Uh, if you don't know what that is, it's it's pretty awesome. Medieval scientists thought we had four different types of liquid and bile inside of us, and that's how you could sort of uh, measure how healthy someone was. <laughs> this is where people were at at the time, right? So coming out of stuff like that, these medical scientists proposed an argument about the the general social decay that they observed via the falling birth rate, and they blamed a large pastiche of what we know now to be various different types of people, um, homosexuals, trans people, they didn't probably understand the language at the time for stuff like this. Uh, fetishists, general weirdos, asexuals, um, you know, anyone who wasn't settling down and, uh, fucking some woman a million times and creating lots of babies to go to war for France were generalized under the umbrella term degenerate. Degenerate, I think is an interesting way of putting it because it has a twofold meaning. One being that you are contributing if you are not a trad fucking dork weirdo you are contributing to the degeneration of the population literally by not generating more people um the other meaning kind of being that uh i guess the conclusion that these people started to come to was that we should degenerate you from the population because these scientists were heavily essentialistic at the time one of the conclusions they came to was that this sort of thing was essential and um you know, didn't have the language for genetics yet to say it, but that it was inherited through families and that the, um, and that it was a problem, I guess is the main thing here that the, if the way you are, uh, can be identified and, and we decide that it's like, uh, passed down genetically because you are whatever, uh, any, th any type of queer person, anything other than, uh, annoying, you know, normal heteronormative reproducing traditional person um the conclusion that they came to was that you should be cold from the herd and this later on led obviously to the type of thinking that influenced plain old eugenics and nazis right i know i'm always yelling about nazis and people go why are you yelling about nazis they don't exist anymore well there's a through line i mean they're not you know we're not talking the original nazi party we're just talking about Nazi thinking. <sighs> now, why am I talking about this? How is this relevant to what's going on in the world today? Well, think about it, right? We're experiencing heightened capitalist contradictions, uh, more awareness of it than ever via the internet, and a, a usefulness by politicians and political actors various other interests in society, capitalist interests and stuff like that to scapegoat all these contradictions and to blame like what happened all those years ago in Nazi Germany, a scapegoat. It's expressing itself, you know, in the form of people, people attacking drag shows, um, a general panic around trans people, this accusation that there's something wrong with them, that they're, uh, that they're groomers freakouts about how all of this moral degeneration will affect our children, especially our white children. Recently in North Carolina, um, 
a group of neo-Nazis attacked a power grid the same day that a drag show was attacked. Uh, it's inconclusive, you know, whether these things were linked. But even if they weren't, they probably came from the same source, the anxiety I've described. The tradition of attacking power grids is uh, is long. It's might be a thing you heard about recently in the news. Oh, my God, who would do that? This has been a thing with uh, Timothy McVeigh types in recent American history all the way back to the 90s. Kind of never stopped. Um, recently, you've seen a lot of uh, this stuff boiling up into marches. You know, people marching. I just saw an image the other day of, of people marching in the UK holding uh, a flag that says destroy pedo freaks, literally Sieg Heiling and holding British flags. So there's that nationalism again, right? Um, if I haven't made it clear, I guess my idea here is that there is an essential common uh, formula. There's an essential common logic that both nationalism and fascism and homophobia and the general need to other um, trans people, atypical people, people that aren't even fucking people that aren't going to breed, you know, and the thing that's expressing itself and is a direct threat, a mortal threat to so many of us and our friends is is fascism itself. It's the it's the it's the plain old biggest, baddest enemy in all of history you know uh reasserting itself once again in a slightly different form if i sound like i'm waving the black flag here i'm not going to apologize anti-fascism is always relevant this stuff has never gone away and it asserts itself through our cultural imagination it causes people to panic it causes people who don't understand what's happening to panic and decide that there is a segment of the human population that they need to target. Then that happens and suddenly, you know, it seems like every six months or so, suddenly we all remember, oh, right, this threat still exists. It's still there. And that's part of our culture. So if anything, I guess what I'm saying is that the story we're going to talk about today uh, should serve as a wake-up call to not forget that this is literally a threat to our friends' lives, their actual mortality all the time. So let's talk about Eden Knight, right? Um, Eden Knight was a trans woman who was from Saudi Arabia, whose parents were very conservative uh, Wahhabist Saudi Arabian parents. Uh, last summer... Eden was living in Georgia with a friend named Bailey. And I, and I apologize for any inaccuracies or incontinuities here. I'm sort of telling the story pieced together from a lot of information that's been sent to me and uh, reading through like the article that Miles Clee wrote in the Rolling Stone, um, a couple other things. But the point is not in the details. So apparently in February of 2022, she had lost her student housing at George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia, where she studied computer science, apparently due to an issue with her scholarship. Um, around the same time, friends say she began to identify as female, though the housing problems seem to have been unrelated. At the time, she was freaking out because she's essentially overnight had no place to stay, no money, and an immigration status newly in question. 
Uh, there's a lot of uh, tweets you can use to piece the story together. At this time, she tweeted a lot about traveling, uh, living in hotels and stuff like that. Um, instead of traveling back to Saudi Arabia, which is where her parents were offering her, uh, you know, a place to stay, but obviously with a lot of conditions. So Eden became part of this household with Bailey, and there's a lot of sweet details in this part of the story. Apparently, Eden bonded very hard with Bailey's son. Um, uh, during this time in Georgia, Eden started taking HRT, uh, via the mail. And apparently was just talking a lot about her general anxiety, uh, and, you know, conflicting life, uh, with her family, with her parents. Her father is a guy named Dr. Fahad Al-Shathri is a deputy governor for supervision at the Saudi Central Bank and has served on the board of other major banks and funds and spent five years with the International Monetary Fund in Washington, D.C. It should be noted that her anxiety was not just about her parents. Uh, in fact, she expressed a lot of uh, desire to connect with her parents still. Um, a lot of her anxiety was just about going back to Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia has obviously very conservative laws regarding gender conformity. You can get imprisoned, flogged, uh, who knows what else. You, uh, Saudi, Arabia, Saudi, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia does not recognize transgender identity. Okay, so here's where things get a little more interesting. Um, around this time, Eden was contacted by three people working in tandem via this, uh, company called special investigations limited which has you know links to the heritage foundation and republicans and all sorts of horrible stuff um the ceo of special investigations limited is a guy named michael pacalico who interestingly enough is a relative of Stepan bandera <laughs> the uh you know the original nazi guy who the azov battalion came out of and all that shit i don't know um I'm just going to read through some of his uh, his own biography on his website here, a special investigation at specinv.com. Michael Pacalico, Michael Pacalico is the CEO of uh, SI. He's been chairman of and CEO of Monticello Capital Advanced Environmental Resources, Inc. Erdvel, Europa, Sarl, I'm fucking not how to pronounce any of this shit. International Systems, uh, SRI, and Special Investigations Limited Company. Uh, oh, the, I see SI here stands for, no, I don't know what it stands for. Um, and non-executive chairman of the board of Erdevel Europa in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Um, the bio goes on to list and Vambian SA, Theramune X Pharmaceuticals Inc. and Enterprise Applications. There's a lot of stuff to dig into here. All of these sound insanely evil. <laughs> An experienced corporate director, he was an audit committee chairman at Hurley Industries and, an, and at Challenger Corporation and is a Sarbanes-Oakley audit committee financial expert. He is an investigator, compliance agent, and certified fraud examiner. This is obviously an evil person with, as they always have, really bizarre dorky details around them. Uh, check this out. His best-selling novel, The Navigator, was published by Macmillan, which apparently is about, uh, you know, a, a guy who's a fraud investigator. <laughs> he did like a Hillary Clinton novelization of his own life. These people, if it's not clear, are real fucking freaks. 
Um, so yeah, I don't know. Sorry if I'm indulging in, in uh, uh, bagging on him a little bit. A little levity never hurt when talking about something this fucked up. You know what I mean? Um, Pacalico was working closely, apparently, with his uh, business partner, Ellen Cole, who is a managing director of SpecInv. She was a corporate founder and the case manager of Special Investigations Limited Company as an expert in investigation processes and controls, yada, yada, yada. There's a lot of LinkedIn bullshit in these bios. Um, she's an investigator and compliance agent. I'm sure this is all legal bullshit. The point being, uh, these two worked closely together via this company, Special Investigations, which uh, I'll refer to a lot as spec in because that's how they shorten it. Um, but this company is very suspect. Um, Michael Pacalico uh, apparently worked through uh, real-life friends of Eden to make contact with her, offering help and saying he worked as a quote-unquote fixer and could make her situation with her disapproving parents better. Eden believed him and opened lines of communication with him. Michael convinced her to leave the trans-affirming home she was staying at and move back to the state. So he brought her to live in another state where she met Ellen and a Saudi lawyer named Bader. I'm sorry, Bader Alamer is his name, uh, who apparently just works in various aspects as a point man for, uh, I don't know, shady legal stuff. So Bader, Ellen, and Michael collectively convinced Eden um, that they worked for a cybersecurity and investigations company and could help her with, uh, what I'm hearing is that they told her they could help her with her pursuit of a career in um, cybersecurity, or computer science, rather. Uh, let's go back to Picalico for a minute. He also chairs Erdvel Europa, a global corporation headquartered in Luxembourg that, as a private venture, has formed uh, to build water infrastructure in Saudi Arabia and throughout the Middle East. So there's all sorts of like private equity and evil stuff like that going on here. Um, let's put the whole picture together here, right? Special Investigation SpecInv presents itself as a cybersecurity firm. But it's pretty obvious that they do significantly more. Their website presenting them as sort of a private contractor available for governments and corporations to do intelligence gathering with. Well, uh, Eden's father, um, I mean, I listed the things he, he was involved with before, like the IMF and things like that. Um, clearly a very powerful person. He also worked uh, in, in apparently it was involved in this thing called the Kafala system, which if I'm understanding correctly, is uh, a system that Saudi Arabia uses is to ma uh, manage uh, lending out workers in various other states and uh, is under a lot of scrutiny by human rights organizations for essentially operating modern-day slavery. Saudi Arabia, it should be noted, is an ally of the United States. Bader Alomer is said to be the guy that when Saudis have found themselves in trouble with U.S. law enforcement, uh, he is one of the first people to hear about it. Uh, so that's how he fits into all this. The other two folks here are just executives in the company that clearly Eden's parents contacted and worked through. Um, so anyway, what happened is that they contacted Eden and were deceitful about their intentions in helping her situation while living with Alamere, um she talked to her friends at that time about uh how he they had slowly apparently manipulated the situation into where she was financially reliant on this person she ran out of money 
Uh, and then he began to sort of um, pressure her into trying to go back into the closet about her gender, took her to doctors and stuff like that. And eventually this all culminated in her essentially being trafficked by coercion back to Saudi Arabia to live with her parents, being forced to live as a man. Um, apparently still taking hormones, but having them discovered by her parents and uh, ultimately her death by suicide. Okay, so that is the bare bones of the story. Um, we are now going to talk to her friend Zoe a little bit uh, about some details that I probably missed in that story and uh, also just who she was as a person because I know this is like obviously a very uh, not fun <laughs> thing to dredge through. Um, but I don't know. There's also a tinge of this where I feel like this is our, our show is a good place to talk about this because Eden clearly was a very online person who a lot of our listeners I'm assuming I've met some of you in real life can relate to uh she had a lot of different accounts and alts and handles and stuff like that uh you might have seen her refer to herself as Solaria her main account on Twitter was in all caps cyber angel fairy spelled f a e r y um, she went viral one time for doing something that is, uh, you know, a very f funny bit in my opinion, uh, that you sometimes see trans accounts do where they posted their, a photo of their old self and then joked about how, uh, you know, having to show this ID, uh, at the airport or whatever, or at a bar. And, uh, because, she, you know, she's Saudi Arabian and you have to dress in, in certain garb and stuff like that, uh, in various circumstances. The original photo is just this very intense looking person who she was what, before she transitioned. Um, and then the present photo is like, you know, her all fucking femmed out and glammed up and, uh, you know, and, and like ladylike looking and stuff. I don't know. It was just really funny. I don't know. She was just really funny online the way that a lot of trans people are for whatever reason. Um, I have theories about it just as a comic, but I don't fucking know. Just a thing that happens. Um, uh, we're going to talk to her friend Zoe now, and I'll come back around and reiterate this at the end. But um, if you want to help out the situation, throw some money at people who are obviously dealing with this whole thing. There are going to be a lot of resources and stuff like that listed in the show notes as well as places where you can read about what happened? Uh, well, like I said, I'll come back and do plugs and stuff at the end. Okay, let's talk to Zoe. Okay, uh, we are now talking to Zoe, who was a friend of Eden Knight. Hi, Zoe. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. Um, so thank you for talking to us. Um, I guess what I'm trying to do here is piece together the story of uh, what happened because there's a lot of information sort of floating around <clears throat> regarding um, what led to uh, the death of Eden Knight. Can you start from the beginning, at least as far back as you know? Yeah. So, um, uh, and so I first like started talking to her in 2021 when she was at, um, I, it was a university in um, Virginia. Um, uh, she was studying cop sci. Um, and we like, so we, we, we started like, we were mutuals, you know, we were as close as like maybe Twitter mutuals would be, you know what I mean? Like we would like DM banter a little bit and like share memes, but like, I wouldn't say that like, you know, like, oh, we were really close or anything, you know what I mean? Um, but, um, 
you know, like as time went on, um, she like, um, we like, she started hanging out in discord servers. I was in, we got like closer. This was around like, I think early 2022 when that happened Uh, around the time we were talking a lot more, she moved in with, um, uh, Hayden and Bailey. Um, this was after she, um, you know, like I, I think she, I believe she dropped out of school or like stopped taking classes entirely. Um, I again, that's like a detail that's kind of like floating around in my head. But um, we we started talking a lot more during this time. Um, so she, you know, like hung out in um Georgia for a bit. You know, she like went to clubs. She um uh you know like co-parented. Um, and around that time, she started talking to um me and my friends over discord a lot we would have like a bunch of like you know like calls at night you know what i mean watch tv like banter about politics you know what i mean like and do you mind just so she's living with hayden and bailey and they are uh also friends she's met through uh the internet or, or who, who yeah yeah okay. almost all the parties involved are um on, on twitter in some way or except for like you know like the bad the bad actors but like yeah it, like anyone that she was like close with she almost certainly met through twitter that makes sense yeah um she got contacted by a um she she got contacted by the lawyer um i like from my understanding it was because like the lawyer was talking about like um you know like repairing things um with her family to be clear oh the detail i forgot um she like the reason she dropped out was because she basically said fuck it i'm going to transition um and to my knowledge she like because of her parents financial support that required her to leave school and just like you know like run away basically um so like she was literally hiding from her parents for a while you know what i mean um while she was in georgia like she she had like um she had to block their numbers she's getting a lot of calls while she's in georgia she like um realized that like there were people who were trying to find her like there were investigators like trying to find out where she was um, and it was putting her under immense anxiety. Um, uh, during this time, we had a, a brief falling out um, and we, we reconnected a few months later. But I, I still got updated um, through other parties about what was happening at the time. Um, so basically, she had like um, and also when we reconnected, she updated me. But um, from memory, she um, was like under the stress of having all these um, people trying to find her. She was paranoid that like like what that could result in et cetera et cetera um she got contacted by a lawyer um who i believe is mike picalico it might be an associate um who contacted her but i I believe it was him um don't quote me on that um basically under the intentions of like you know like hey you know i can help you with your situation you know i've heard about this i can you know help you figure things out or whatever right um so she um decided to go through with that we were talking uh when we recon so we reconnected when we reconnected once later and we were talking about it she communicated i think at one point she met up with her dad in america to talk things over um but she presented masculine um because she didn't want her dad to find out she was transitioning uh-huh. um I, as things went on like with the lawyer um the lawyer provided a um uh like housing for her and like you know like access to food and stuff like that you know obviously because she didn't have an income and to her 
to her knowledge at the time, she like, because she didn't have like a, um, I don't know what the like legal, like technicalities are, but like she, she felt like she couldn't legally work or like find asylum in the U S. Uh-huh. Um, well, uh, hold on. Let's, let's like kind of back up and summarize for a minute sure, though. Sure, sure. Okay. So at one point she's contacted by this guy. How do you say his last name? Michael. I think it's Puck. Pacalico, I think. Pacalico. Um, yeah. Uh, do you know much about this person? Because I've been reading about him, and he's. Um, I found out more afterwards, but at the time, the impression that I got of him was that he was like a conservative lawyer. But I just thought of him as like a well—I mean, as well-meaning as you can be for conservative. Not to, not to be a political Andy or anything, but you know, um, he was like a well-meaning, like just like dumb boomer who didn't understand transness that's what we believed because he was like always um misgendering her and like trying to like get her to like um you know like uh like you know like present male again and like talk to a therapist about oh maybe it's just you know depression um and um you know like at the time we just assumed like okay this is just like a you know like a boomer who just thinks this is the way that like she's gonna resolve things with her family you know what i mean Uh like I don't want to say we didn't think much of it. Like, obviously it was like gross and disgusting, but you know, like the consensus that she kind of had that I, I, at the time agreed with the information I had was basically like, okay, this guy doesn't seem actively malicious. So like, why not just use him with, for, for the resources he has? Um, as things kept going, she started to like become more and more paranoid and distressed Um, there was a lot of this again, like she didn't give me exact details, but she was very emotional. Um, she like started to like express that she felt like she was going to have to return to Saudi Arabia. She expressed fears about being killed if she returned. Um, during this time, um, she was also expressing fear. Like I'd talk to her about like, Hey, why not like just try and run or seek asylum? And she would always basically say like, I can't do that. Like, like I'll just get deported, like my visa or whatever. Like, I, I, I forget the exact reasoning, but basically she felt like her only possibilities were like, you know, like I get deported to Saudi Arabia, I go voluntarily, you know, that, that was like basically like the, um, or like, you know, like she can't survive without like food and shelter, basically. Like those were like the things running through her mind, like, um, at that point in time, mm-hmm. um, I think it was around this point in time that she started to realize more and more that the lawyer was very much so just directly in the interests of her parents, not necessarily like a neutral party that wanted to work, but basically like work between them, but basically just like entirely in the interests of um, her parents, um, which like in hindsight seems kind of like obvious. You know what I mean? And I, 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 we, we kind of knew that to a degree, but I guess like we didn't, think we didn't consider how malicious that would manifest itself into being you know we just thought it'd be some like boomer dude who didn't really understand the situation it was just like whatever all this but like as more information came out it seemed I, I can't leak some stuff because there's been like um investigative stuff that's like pulled out some crazy shit but like until like we we like are um when i say we that we have like um you know like um like uh groups talking about like um how to go forward with like the information we have and stuff but um, sure i guess well here though this part of the story what seems to be interesting to me is that so it seems like uh eden was approached by this person 
seemed like a good idea at first. Like this person was seemingly trying to alleviate the situation may have Mm -hmm. been uh, misleading about certain uh, intentions. And then it becomes clear that this is all orchestrated by her parents using um, people that work at this firm, which uh, yeah. the is the CEO of called um, was it special investigations or something. Yeah. Something like that. Um, it again, like there is information that makes this all a lot more malicious, um, but <laughs> it's not fully confirmed. And because of the parties involved, like it might be really fucking crazy to just like, there might be like crazy um like shit might kind of like fall out if um you know like we just go crazy like you know like dropping stuff that isn't fully i mean you understand that yeah no sure this is all just conjecture Um, or whatever yeah so um like anyways like around this time um her mental health um it it was weird because initially she called me and she was like very excited like even though she had some like lingering concerns, she felt like, you know, like, Hey, this lawyer is like a resource I can use to get back on my feet. She was confident that like, yeah, I'll re- talk to my parents, but I'll just convince them that I'm not trans and they'll like, you know, like, you know, like they'll, they won't care, you know, like what I, it, that was the kind of the general concept, very like optimistic or whatever. Um, but as time went by, her mental health kind of plummeted. She would all, she would start calling me, telling me like how alone she was, which I think was also like a big contrast from Georgia where she was, um, staying with people i i i uh, I think this was um i think this all happened in dc by the way i I know that she was in dc for a period of time but um her mental health started to drop she'd call me talking about how alone she is how scared she is for the future you know what i mean telling me like really like i feel like saying doomer implies that it's like you know like overly pessimistic but like given the circumstances of her situation especially in hindsight well, I we're really also just all it. internet people, so that's just the yeah, language yeah. we use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like she was like dooming really hard. She was like, um, there's a time where, um, and again, like I have to, you know, like choose choose what I leak and redact and stuff like that. But um, there's like you know, like she called me having like a mental breakdown. Um, I thought she was going to kill herself. She like told me about like I'm gonna jump, you know, et cetera. And I didn't know what was going on, so I called her and talked to her, and she she never ended up doing anything. I wasn't sure if she was like close to doing anything, but um, it it was really scary. She started talking about like you know like, um, like oh you know like, like please don't leave me. I'm like so alone without you. You know like like et cetera. Like um like my like there's people dying around me. Like my like a lot of people my lawyer knows are dying, and I feel like I which I like in hindsight might sound malicious but i think like the interpretation i had of it at the time was just that like you know like you know like like maybe a like a client or two that the lawyer was associated with there were like deaths involved um i don't necessarily want like there to be like an implication that there's like conspiratorial stuff going on no Uh but um so she was really freaked out i i tried to console her um eventually like um, she just tried to go back to sleep, but she was like extremely distraught. It like kind of scared me. Um, but after that, um, it was kind of like this constant back and forth between, um, like optimism and like hope, you know what I mean? And, um, really, really dark pits of pessimistic, like nihilism, basically. Um, 
So it kind of like I, I, I communicated with her like this for a while. You know, she would update me, like just give little updates on what was happening with the lawyer. Like um, she reached she met a therapist um, who the lawyer wanted her to contact because and I mean, this is just like, I guess, like. The lawyer being like conservatively like brain dead a little bit. Sorry, that that's cool to say on here. Right. Just to be clear. Oh, um, yeah. No, we're an edgelord yeah. podcast. We're OK, horrible. OK. okay. Um, like um, he wanted her to see a therapist because he thought that the therapist would confirm that like, oh, you know, you're just depressed, you know, like this is just you're not trans, you're just depressed. Um, so he also claims that a ther- like a therapist or like medical professionals in general couldn't be biased. And she got in a huge argument with him over that. I remember like bantering with her about that, about how stupid that I, I, maybe not bantering, I guess agreeing. Um agreeing in like you know like a uh i don't know what you'd say but it was like a riffing i don't know we were like having like a back and forth like roasting the fuck out of him because uh-huh. it just seemed so ridiculous um and again in hindsight it's kind of more like eerie but like at the time it's just like oh my god this boomer lawyer really thinks like you know like professionals can't be biased um but um anyways she ended up seeing the therapist and the therapist actually did um diagnose her with um dysphoria eventually um she she also talked to me again like stuff that like you know like we would joke about and like of course i'd empathize with but it's like way more morbid in hindsight she would always talk about how like the therapist would like get kind of overwhelmed (laughs) with like how much shit was going on um with her um like even outside of this situation eden is someone who's dealt with like a lot of like trauma um which is kind of really depressing for me to like know about um I mean, like, you know, like it's common for like someone who's been deeply traumatized to um be like, like more vulnerable to like abuse and other traumatizing situations. Um, but yeah, like at, at the time, like, you know, like I would just like, you know, like um banter, like, I, like, of course, I, I knew that she had like, you know, like a lot of crazy shit going on, but she seemed hopeful a lot and that rubbed off on me. And, you know, like maybe it's was naivety, naivete. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce it, but, um, like I kind of just like felt like, you know, like, okay, when she's hopeful, you know, like it, it makes sense, you know, like she's got a positive like plan going forward when she's like depressed or like really scared. Like, I mean, yeah, that's valid, but like, I mean, she's going to be all right. You know, she's smart. She'll get through this, which again, like I think it's like in hindsight, I kind of beat myself up a little bit for being like a little childish and naive. But um, anyways, um, so eventually it started to get more and more clear that she was going to go back to Saudi Arabia. Um, and she kind of, she was talking, she thought that she would get thrown in jail or um, like killed potentially. Um, if she didn't like hardcore boy mode and she started to like go over the idea with me and some other people of like potentially just saying like, fuck it, I'm, I'm just going to be a martyr. Like they'll kill me or like they'll imprison me and I'll go on hunger strike. And like, because like my family is like important in Saudi Arabia, it'll be hard to like ignore and like, it'll become this whole thing and like they'll get fucked over it. You know what I mean? Like she kept talking about issuing an ultimatum. And one of the initial things she wanted to do was she issued an ultimatum to um her family and the government basically saying like leave me alone and i won't turn this into a huge like activist thing you know what i mean yeah um 
And um, that like she she was hopeful that I would work out. It didn't really work out. She ended up going back to Saudi Arabia. Um, Can I interject with a question here really quick? Uh, Just as one of the basics of the story. So you're saying her her family is important in Saudi Arabia? Yeah. uh, yeah. So exact details. um, Like there's some like way like more like creepy details, but like the stuff that is public is that like um, her dad is um, tied into, I think the largest bank in Saudi Arabia. Oh, okay. Um, uh, like he's like a de- like deputy advisor or something. I, I don't know the exact role, but it's like, you know, like high up. And her uncle is like, I believe like an advisor to the crown or like a government official or something, or like a, um, like military. It's, oh, they have strong government uh, connections. With yeah. them. I had known her family was powerful, but I, as like, I looked back more into it and heard more and more. It kind of kept consistently shocking me. Um, so when she, she eventually, went back to Saudi Arabia um, and I didn't have like a full timeline of events, but initially she seemed, I don't want to say hopeful, but given the circumstances, she seemed weirdly content and optimistic given everything going on. Um, Which like, you know, like people say she's strong, right? And like, I'm not gonna lie, she's like one of like the most badass people and like based people I've ever known, right? But I also want it to be clear that like, holy fuck like i i I think that it's like you know like a lot of things that might be interpreted as like oh you know she's so like hopeful and like strong and like like a lot of that is probably like you know like a a serious like trauma response to being in an extremely scary environment you know like pushing everything down you know what i mean um and i only say that because i want people to know that like you know like what she went through was like extremely horrific and like she was just like, you know, like a normal girl, you know what I mean? Like a lot of like, I mean, she was like, you know, like, like, I am like really badass and based, but like, she was like, at the end of the day, she was like, you know, like I, I like, so I don't think obviously that this could have happened to anyone. Cause there are a lot of factors here that are crazy, but like she could have been anyone, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. I, I mean, again, like she, like a lot of the things she ended up doing were really smart, but um, you get my idea. So sure, when yeah. she was in Saudi Arabia, um, her parents found out she was trans, and um, they were like aggressively, like you know, like berating her. It was mostly coming from her mom. Her her dad was like very emotionally abusive too. But the vibe she always told me was that like she felt like her dad should know better. Like he's like you know like basically like he's an educated guy, but he's too he's coping too hard on religion that he like will never like you know like basically like she thought that deep down he knew but he was just like in denial because you know like religious values um sure but um oh um a a quick aside because there's a lot of misconceptions about her um relationship with like islam and like religion in general so um when i met her initially and for a while i think like her like identity as like a Muslim kind of fluctuated, you know, she would like go through like, se- like, you know, like phases of being basically like a um, progressive, like secular Muslim to being like a, um, some form of atheist. And then like, at like extreme moments, like an anti-theist. Um, so like, you know, like it was kind of like that back and forth for a bit. Um, but even when she was like, a, like, you know, like, like kind of identifying more as like secular Muslim, 
she she was it's still very leaned very much into the secular aspect of it um but there was a period in i want to say november december it was be- I, I think it was before she left and i think it extended a little bit into when she got there where um i don't know if you saw this but this is where a lot of the misconceptions come from where she started like quran posting like yeah i saw some of that yeah 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 and like you know like talking about like oh like you know like these like conservative like idiot like you know like um i like i i'm trying to think of like the word for like uh like a muslim preacher but like um like she was basically off about like i i I think so but i feel like she used a different word so but that yeah i uh, she was like going off about wanting to debate um like muslim um like youtubers and shit about like the Quran and about like, you know, like, like LGBT issues or whatever. Um, and at the time I feel like everyone either was like, Oh wow, she's reconnecting to her faith or for the people who were closer to her, were like, uh, this seems kind of like some form of like psychotic slash manic episode. Um, and like people who reached out to her asking that she would like reject them really heavily and say, what the fuck? It's not a manic episode. Um, so like, um, after a while in Saudi Arabia, she kind of like, distance herself back to being like an atheist again at this time she was um mostly only ever at home or at work um and like commuting in between so um she ended up working at a cybersecurity place in saudi arabia that her parents connected her up with um we, we talked a lot while she was at work because like a lot of the time like i mean maybe this is morbid to say but like i can say this i guess because she can't get fired or anything now but she like would like you know like her boss wouldn't be there a lot so she'd just walk around and text me um but, i mean whom amongst us right yeah but um like we would banter a lot this is like when we got really fucking close um i mean we were close before right like i said like she like would like call me when she's having a mental breakdown but this is like starting to get into the period where we were texting like at least multiple times a week if not every day you know what i mean um um and when we did text it'd be like maybe like you know like you know like for like like several minutes to hours on end um you know it's hard to pin it down because i don't want to i really don't want to overstate how close i was to her because like like without getting too into it because i don't want to be petty but there are a lot of people who like kind of suddenly got close to her after she died i mean that's a phenomenon that happens with everything but it's uniquely frustrating with me because i was one of the closest people to her and there are people talking about her now who i know she fucking hated um, yeah, but I won't get into that because I I don't want to derail anything, but it, it's really frustrating, um, understandably. Um, but during this time, you know, she would um, you know, like it, basically it was just her passport got confiscated, but the main plan was she was gonna find a way somehow to get out of the country. the The idea was maybe to get to the UK and then somewhere else, you know, apply for asylum somewhere else. But it was like an idea that was up in the air. Um. She was talking to a lot of people who wanted to help her out. Um, like uh, Barry, I, I saw was always like wanting, like wanting to chip in. And like Ash, who's my Canadian friend who I talk to like nearly every day, like wanted to try and see if she could get asylum in Canada. Um, but at this time, oh, man, this is like the corniest detail um, of this entire story that I haven't disclosed to anyone except um, Eden. But oh man okay this is cringe but there was a point in time where i blew a lot of money on csgo skins and i never got the opportunity to sell them so i was trying to convince her to take my csgo inventory um to like try and like you know like fund her way out and she kept like saying like no 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 no, you've done enough for me you know like 
like thank you but you've done enough you know what i mean because i have like you know like given her money in the past and helped her with like you know like but not trying to like praise myself you know what i mean or anything like is that a video I, game csgo yeah counter-strike oh uh, sorry. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like shorthand. weapon skins that like um it's like video game NFTs or something, I guess. I don't know how you describe it. It's, it's, it's it sounds really lame, but it, I mean, it is, but no, I, I um, game, I get yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but, um, so during this time it was basically this cycle of she'd always find a way to get access to HRT because I believe there's like over the counter birth control, um, in Saudi Arabia, um, which, you know, she could use for DIY. Um, also like, um, you know, like, so it was kind of the cycle of like her hiding HRT and getting optimistic and it getting stolen and her having to, um, you know, like find it again or whatever and just use new hiding mechanisms. During this time, she was also, I don't know if you knew this, but she was cycling through different Twitter accounts that she would make to communicate with us. Um, so she would like pop up really quickly for a few weeks on an account and disappear. And I mean, I understand why and how, like, I wish I had pushed her more on this, but I understand that like, you know, like, she like probably is like desperate for like a social connection that she was lacking in like Saudi Arabia, but she would have her account private, you know, and just not communicate anything vital. But eventually she would always like open it up and like post selfies again, um, which would eventually get found out. I don't know, like if there was like someone who was like ratting on her, but like she said it was like someone from the government that was telling her parents. I don't know. But um, so there's, there was that cycle going on where she'd make and delete Twitter accounts. Um, and also like, hide and reattain hrt this like cycle happened like two two or three times or three like two three or four times um at this point um and um you know like she always keep me in the loop she would talk to me about how like viciously abusive her parents were getting like her mom would just go on a tangent calling her like you know like a disgusting freak who's gonna rot in hell saying like why don't you just kill yourself you know saying like like, I mean, just like insanely vile shit, you know, telling her that like if the police came, they'd just turn her in on the spot. You know what I mean? Um, her dad was bad too. But again, the consensus, the feeling that I got was that her dad was more so just like coping, I guess, like with, like, you know, like coping with religion, like just like kind of like cut in that situation. Um, during this time, she, um, started becoming like, you know, like very atheist, anti-theist again. And, um, as I am um, referred, like was talking about earlier, people have misconceptions about her religion. People, people thought she was having like a manic phase there. Um, she confided in me when I was talking about like my own, like, um, mental breakdown on like after like a bad trip or something, she said like, um, you know, like, Oh yeah. Remember when I was like, you know, like Tehran posting and she like basically saying like that was a, she referred to it as a psychotic breakdown. Um, and I'm not a psychologist, so I can't say whether or not, it was, but that's the terminology she used. She basically like, she like basically said like she memorized the entire Quran cause she thought she was going to go to hell and get tortured for eternity. So she had to like cope with it by being like the most religious person on earth and justifying it through her religion and saying like, like her parents at the time thought like, Oh, you know, like she's, she's going back to normal, you know, she's being cured of like, you know, like, you know, like whatever. Um, but then she basically said that like after that, like, um, breakdown she like just went back to being like a full-on anti-theist and um near the end especially it's been frustrating because um i don't want people you know like to like I, i'm although i'm worried about it getting derailed to like people just like going full-on like i mean it's it's like religion was like one of like the key issues here you know but like i mean there's gonna be like 
bad faith Andes who just, you know, like go off about like Islam. But that being said, like she started to have like a lot of like contempt for Islam, you know what I mean? Which is very understandable given her situation. Um, and like, you know, like I'm going to be honest, like, you know, like the, uh, I, I won't go off too much, but like, I, I think there's some people who have like their priorities mixed up when they like get very defensive of Saudi Arabia. But, um, that uh, being said, so she started to get like, you know, like, um, like we were talking every day. She started to get really, um, hardcore, like, you know, like anti-theist vibes. I mean, I'm sure she wasn't expressing them publicly, obviously. I mean, she was still boy moding publicly, but, um, are you, wait, are you familiar with that term? Yeah, I am. Okay, but I mean, mask your for the audience. <laughs> yeah. It basically like take like a trans girl taking HRT, um, like basically transitioning privately, but like outwardly pretending you're still a dude, you know what I mean? To, um, basically fly under the radar. Um, being in the mode of a boy. Yeah. But we would always, yeah, we would always, we'd always banter about like how, like, um, <laughs> she would always say, like, what was the joke? It was like, oh, man, one second, one second. I want to see if I can find this because we have a lot of logs. Like, we stopped voice calling at this time um, because she didn't really have as many opportunities, but we texted like a fucking lot and exchanged videos. So, well, I would imagine that uh, boy moding in this case or, or girl moding. Um, would have a pretty deleterious effect on on one's mental health, right? So, so yes, but um, for her at least, like a lot of, and we we banter a lot about dysphoria. Her dysphoria is very much um biological, like basically like the idea. Like I remember talking to her at one point where I was like, I I don't want to misattribute this because this could be something that like you know like she might have just said in the moment and not uh-huh. you you know like these these are all memories. She can't speak for herself, so I have to make like um kind of like assumptions and best guesses based on all the conversations i've had with her but she always would emphasize that like her dysphoria was physical right like she would much rather have like a female body and identify as a boy than like identify as a girl and like never transition if Mm -hmm. that makes sense never medically transition if that makes sense okay so like hrt was really important to her and um i'm sure that like even though you're right it would be like seriously detrimental to her mental health but like the HRT helped like immensely, like yeah. just being able to see like that type of growth, you know what I mean? Even if you could only really share it with your friends in private, right. like is, is like immense. Um, but, um, we would like joke back and forth about how like, um, people would like, um, I, I guess like, cause like a lot of like normies, like even people who are like aware or like brain rotted about trans people sometimes like just don't understand HRT at all. You know, they just yeah. think that like being transgender is getting like boobs, like nailed to your chest or something. But like, um, she, it was like a running joke where she'd be like saying like she was getting like feminine and people would just think like, <laughs> you know, like it'd be like, they said like, wow, this is like one of the most beautiful boys I've ever seen basically. Yeah. Um, yeah that type of um stuff but um so like there was hope there you know she was talking about like hey you know like when i get back to the uk or the us you know we're gonna meet up and like i was like being like that's so cool like we were talking about the idea of being roommates you know what i mean like just meeting up and hanging out um so like it was hopeful at that time but um obviously like as things started to like click closer to the end again waves of there are waves of pessimism and optimism but um I don't know, in the last few weeks, I don't know if you care too much about sentimental details, but we started listening to a lot of music together. 
um, like just bantering about media, like roasting people on Twitter privately. Um, yeah, I know that's what you know, that's how people connect in uh, yeah, this yeah, day yeah, and yeah. age. Um, I don't want to ask was, you to reveal any of the people you're making fun yeah, of. But yeah, yeah. What were some yeah. of the some <laughs> of the uh, tunes, some of the, some of the music you were sharing? Um, so she okay she loves blade i don't know if you know it's like a sweet blade rules. oh sorry i thought you were talking about the movie sorry uh, it's with two e's <laughs> soundtrack yeah um, yeah um but i never really listened to blade that much but i listened to a few songs for her but i mean it's kind of makes me like a lot of these details seem like really selfish in hindsight but i kind of made her listen to a lot of my music but she was like she was like probably like this is what's crazy about her like how fucking much she cared about her friends like Let's be honest. Most of the time, if your friend said, Hey, check out this album, you'd just be like, sure. And then maybe you would like listen to a few songs in like a few days or something. You know what I mean? Like, or maybe, maybe I'm just a sociopath or something. I don't know. But she like, literally, like I mentioned, like, I don't know if anyone here listens to Nine Inch Nails, but like I was getting really into Nine Inch Nails at the time. And I was yeah, like, hell yeah. Yeah. I mentioned like the, uh, the downward spiral or whatever. And she was like, hell, hell yeah. Let's listen to it later today. And I was like, Oh shit. Okay. So, um, again, we couldn't voice call, but we were just listening to the album and like texting while it was happening, or, like while it was going down. Um, and I don't know, I, I really enjoyed that. And, um, you know, like I, I really like, like, I mean, everyone likes like when people like give you the time of day to just like, let like for someone to let you indulge in something you like. So, yeah, yeah I, again, it's like stuff that makes me feel selfish in hindsight. Cause like a lot of the last memories were her like indulging me on like my own interests. But I mean, we still, it was still like, you know, like relatively mutual i mean we like bantered and like i would like she would talk to me about her stories and like like her takes on things but regarding music a lot of it was my own so but so as things got closer to the end we um like one of our last conversations um like the last conversation we had i'm very grateful that like as much like as like it's horrific that this happened i'm grateful that like like i said we had a falling out before i'm grateful that like I like, tr- like you made the attempt to reconnect and that she was receptive to that, you know, and I'm grateful that near the end, we were talking nearly every day, you know, but like, and at this point near, like near the very end, it was like for hours a day. Um, because like, I, I don't know, like, you know, like, even though she's gone, it's like, that is like, like, <sighs> I, like, I, and like, I feel bad for other people, but I see like a lot of people talking about their regrets about how they weren't closer to her and stuff. And like, I, I do regret that I, you know, like, obviously, like, I wish I had talked to her more. I wish she hadn't died. You know, I wish I had met up with her, you know, like, flown out or something when she wanted me to while she was in D.C. Because that was something she suggested. But but I was stupidly hesitant at the time and just thought, like, you know, like, maybe in 2023 or something, right? Or maybe, like, later, like, in the year or something, right? Because um, I was naive and kind of stupid at the time. But, um, uh, but I am grateful that we talked a lot near the end in spite of all that. Like, I have immense gratitude for that. <laughs> But um, it's so trippy that like when I tell people this, it's like crazy. But the last conversation we had, like, yeah, we were just bantering about stuff. Like I was watching Evangelion for the first time and she was like saying like, oh, yeah, I love that show. You should watch Berserk or read Berserk or whatever, which like I'm not like that much of like a anime manga person. I only even watched Evangelion because a friend recommended me to. But like I was like, yeah, you know, I was receptive to it, you know. She she said like oh I haven't like seen Evangelion in a while I might need to rewatch it and I got excited and I'm like hell yeah like maybe we can like watch through it together this is the last conversation we had by the way it was the um, night before she died um, or I, I I like I had never converted it into Saudi Arabian time so I mean it might have all it been the day that she died 
Um, but, um, sorry, I'm trying to run through this in my head. We, we just bantered a lot and like, you know, like it's, it's, she's so fucking funny and based like we like had to like, like, I don't know if you saw like the Jordan Peterson fucking like Chinese, like, Oh yeah. We did a whole episode about it. Yeah. (laughs) We were fucking roasting the fuck out of him. This is the funniest thing that's ever happened. Yeah. It's like literally like the very last, I mean, it's kind of like morbid but like the last image she sent me was just like one of the fucking memes about it like of like the i don't know if you what the fuck is it it's like the one where like um it's like some like i don't know if it's like a dominatrix or something with like some guy hooked up to a hospital bed but people were like um captioning it as if it was jordan peterson yeah no i know the account that made that the his name is uae falcon refinance he's this really weird guy uh like fucking last year he put that out and yeah. made it a joke about Jordan Peterson. And then when Jordan Peterson retweeted the Chinese dick sucking factory thing the other day, er- like everyone that knows the Falcon guy was like, Oh my God, like you made a premonition. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. <laughs> he somehow so, predicted it. Yeah. We were bantering about that a lot, but I think probably like the most crazy thing to me is, so I sent her a fucking another nine inch nails song um, that I really liked because I felt like it would like it brought out emotions in me. And I like, because of that, I started to talk about life, like, you know, like my insecurity. Cause like I was, um, very, very, um, I had had like, you know, like two kind of like, to be clear, um, I'm just going to say this because like, you know, like I know there's like a lot of people that said like, Oh, I understand what she was going like. I can't even fathom what she was going through. Like I like have suffered and like, you know, like we would talk to each other, like vent to each other, but like, it was always like, like I was always grateful that she would extend compassion to me, like in spite of everything she was going through, you know what I mean? But, um, like, so I was like opening up about my insecurities, feeling like the world was ending. And we had like a really, I I posted some of it on Twitter and I might post more of it. Um, but we had like a really poignant, like conversation basically about, um, you know, like the afterlife and like the meaning of life and what to do in life. You know what I mean? Um, and I was talking about like, you know, like, oh, I don't want to die or whatever. And she was basically saying, and this like is like so like fucking like, um, like kind of fucked up to like read like something that someone posted like less than like 12 hours from when they died. But she was talking about like, oh, don't worry, you'll grow old, I'll grow old, you know, we'll both grow old together. It's going to be fine. Um, sorry. Uh, uh, but, um, okay. Yeah. So like we, we talked about that. We, um, you know, there's like, like kind of like that heart to heart. And then we just kind of got like, I mean, I kind of like, um, like, you know, like after I was like opening up about it, I kind of broke the, um, um, like, you know, like, uh, momentum by posting like a family guy death pose meme or whatever that we both laughed at. Um, I mean, like, you know, it's the type of stuff that like, you know, like it's just really indicative that like, I don't know, I, I, I really like liked her and we had like a really, um, strong, um, bond, but. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, what you're telling is a really sweet story and that it's yeah. funny because it's laced with all of the, you know, overly ironic humors of the Internet. Yeah, but that's just like, the world that a lot of us live yeah. in just by nature of like the era. But also, yeah. I don't know, uh, you know, there's the Internet's a, a, a place where it's safe to connect with people you know so yeah you use the yeah. language of the internet to talk to each other like it's like in spite of everything it's like really meaningful to me that i had such a close connection with her like as petty as it sounds i will forever cherish that i got to fucking shit like shit on some of the people 
we both mutually hated with her <laughs> before she passed. Like, you know, like even like the really petty dumb shit, you know what I mean? But also onto like the sentimental shit, like sharing like really intimate stories with each other and like our feelings about the world and like what we wanted to accomplish and what our biggest insecurities and fears were, you know, um, like just all that type of shit. Like we were really close, like, but you know, like, um, so like, um, and I still like kind of like, I thought like, I always thought this was the type of thing that would be corny. You know what I mean? Um, before this happened to me, but like, you know, like when people would talk about like still texting people after they're dead, but like, I mean, I do that with her. I don't know. Like I'm not a spiritual person at all, but sorry. Um, I, don't be. <laughs> sorry, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to cry. I always feel like bad when I cry. Cause I feel like it's like begging for emotional support that I don't really need. You know what I mean? Right now. But, um, like, um, so you, you're, you don't feel spiritual. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm but, not a um, really spiritual person generally. Um, I mean, maybe like it's, this is going to sound corny as fuck, especially cause we were both like anti-theist to a degree. I mean, me much less so than her. Like I was kind of of the degree of like, Hey man, you know, you can believe whatever you want to believe. Like, I think that religion in general is bad for society, but I won't judge an individual person unless they like get like crazy weird with it. And I don't think it's inherently bad, you know what I mean? But like generally, I just kind of like when it comes to religion, I kind of like, you know, like it eh, maybe not so much. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, but I wasn't like too over the top about it. But yeah, I, I did have like those opinions that like some people say is cringe and like I don't really care. But she was like way harder into that stuff than me, Um, which like I like, you know, like she would go on crazy rants to me that like if anyone saw them, like would like fucking like it's like like you know like they would lose their minds uh, like she like really had like a deep contempt for like islam and religion in general um and saudi culture in general but before um she died which has made it really really frustrating when people cite her as muslim or say like oh no she was reconnecting with her faith at the end i know because i briefly interacted with her on twitter when she had a manic episode you know what I mean? like it's really frustrating to see like all like the talked to her twice in her Twitter DMs, Andy's come out, um, understandably, and like tell me what she would want. You know what I mean? But um, so yeah, like like after that conversation, she took her own life. Um and um you know like that kind of leaves us where we are today. But I will say there's one thing I will say actually like um referring back to um you know I, I mentioned earlier that she kind of like when she thought she was gonna get killed or at least imprisoned she wanted to be a martyr you know what i mean she wanted to like politicize it and like destroy the people involved and like destroy like like the the types of um cultures and values that would do that to someone you know whether that's like you know like whether in the east that's like you know like um i I don't know the technical term but like you know like um like the hyper conservative like culture in saudi arabia or like you know like um I can't, I I won't comment too much because I genuinely don't understand Saudi Arabia that much besides what I talked to her about. But, um, you know, like we like both like had a shit ton of contempt for, um, regressives and reactionaries on the East and uh, West. I mean, you know, like as much as they suck in America, it's pretty significantly worse, um, in Saudi Arabia. Um, but, um, I like, people will look at suicide and just think of it as like a tragedy of the mind, you know? And I'm not saying that it was like the decision she had to make. Cause of course I don't think she should have like killed herself. Right. But knowing the conditions she was going through, that shit is so insane on anyone that like, I kind of like 
as morbid as this might sound, I kind of like have to have some level of like, this is gross to say, I guess. And maybe this will get me like obliterated by people, but I, I have in some kind of way, even though I disagree with it and I wish she didn't, and I wish she kept fighting. I have to have some level of respect for the decision she made because like, I can't even comprehend the suffering that pushed her to that point. You know, even as somebody who struggled with mental illness, it is like incomprehensible to me. Um, and I will say like, she managed to, to turn that suicide into something big that could like destroy the lives of some really, really horrible people. Um, I see a lot of people taking credit for saying like, Oh, we did it. You guys, we like, we shared her story, but like she, she like, she like lit the flame like pretty hard. Like a lot of people infantilize her and pretend that she's like this, like poor little victim who didn't understand what was going on and just tragically lost her life or whatever. But like, she like, you know, like, these were hellish circumstances but she was like very much like kind of like it, it, at the end like I, I told you she deactivated her account she re like reactivated her lar largest account that she had to post the suicide note with the intention that it would be like blow up and be a political thing which is you know like she wanted to be a martyr you know and i want to like as best as i can like try and carry that forward even though i'm kind of like a moron optically like it, in whatever way I can, I want to carry that forward. So yeah, there's some frustrations I have with um, people's reactions to it and like saying like, oh, this shouldn't be politicized or like, oh, you know, like fantasizing her, et cetera. That, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, well, uh, we're morons too. And, uh, you know, people brought the story to us. And so mm -hmm. uh, we are also, <laughs> you know, just trying to help amplify yeah. it. Um, Zoe, thank you for talking to us. I know this is probably very difficult and everything. So we really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank you. Yep. Bye. Okay. That was Zoe. That was the story of Eden Knight. Um, please look into all the resources in the show notes and, uh, you know, throw some money in if you can help. Um, thanks for listening. All right. The, that's the show. We'll be back again next week to talk about Jordan Peterson's dick sucking factory. It's finished. <laughs>